This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. The BFM Breakfast Grill, connecting you to the top people and ideas. Powered by U-Mobile. 5G now with you. I'm Wong Xiaoning and this is The Breakfast Grill. After a much protracted election campaign that was followed by five days of uncertainty, Datuk Sri Anwar Ibrahim was sworn in as Malaysia's 10th Prime Minister last evening. On our panel today, we discuss the twists and turns that led Pakatan Harapan to Putrajaya and also the challenges that lie ahead of this new government. We have Jahaba Sadiq, founder and editor of Malaysian Insight and James Chai, visiting fellow at the ISIS Yusuf Ishak Institute. Thank you, gentlemen, for coming on the show. I'll start with you, Jahaba. What was Anwar's trump card at the end of the day? I think uh, he was very cool this time around. He, he, he even handed out popcorn at one time. He handed out popcorn and he never mentioned those deadly words. Uh, that, that always uh, means that he will fail at it. Uh, he didn't say he had the numbers. He didn't say he had strong, formidable, convincing numbers. I think he just kept very cool. Uh, he was uh, busy, I think, talking to other parties post-Saturday. Uh, um, and, of course, there were a lot of dissension from, from other parties about this. But once they met the king, or once the king invited both uh, Anwar Ibrahim and Muhyiddin Yassin, I think it became very clear that one of the two was more amenable to, amenable to, to a coalition government mm. uh, that was very inclusive and that would be um, a lot more, more moderate than, than the other side, uh, and, and not just uh, monochromatic in terms of race. Uh, mm. And I think that was very important for the, for the rulers because the last five years has been um, a roller coaster for Malaysia. And, and, his, and you can see after the appointment was made, uh, the ringgit actually rose. You know, it's amazingly, it rose. Market uh, also went up 4%. Yes, everything. Uh, you know, it seemed like there was a, the gloom had lifted. Of course, this morning, there's still a bit of a gloom because we are speculating a lot of things. And mm. I'm sure you're going to ask us a lot of questions. But I think it's still early days. Um, give it another week or so. And, and I think we'll, we'll be some clarity to what happens to Malaysia. Okay, James, you know, the road to Putrajaya had many twists and turns. But I would say initially, it looked like Perikatan National had the numbers, especially with the Sabah block on their side. So are you personally surprised by this outcome, especially with... Amno joining hands with Pakatan Harapan at what was probably the the very last hour, or specific joining any unity government, as long as it was not led by Perikatan uh, National. Yeah, what I realized in the end uh, became a very critical factor was the fact that this deal making process was very relational in nature. So what you would realize, right, was that um, because of the closeness that uh, Pakatan had with Zahid. Uh, which, which allowed them to actually deal with AMNO more directly and, and therefore also allowing the space for them to take advantage and offer a very clear 10-point offer, which I think was very unusual in negotiation in politics, but that helped. And I, I also want to point out the fact that um, for DP to actually fly over to Sarawak to say sorry to them, I realised that that really did advance the negotiations a bit and to make them seem like they are more amenable, like what Jabba pointed out just now. And I think fundamentally, that really turned tables around when Perikatan used to have the upper hand. Uh, and, and because they did not pursue that relational approach, and when they met Amno for the final time, they were reportedly very cold, uh, very dismissive. And I think that really made a difference in the end. 
Okay, but Jahaba, you've been a newsman for decades, almost as long as what Anwar wants to be Prime Minister. Uh, but did you ever think that Amno and Har- Harapan would be able to work together? They've been arch rivals from the time Dr. Sri Anwar was expelled from Amno in 1998. What really has changed the equation? I, you know, I think the one thing that changed the equation is that uh, Zaid Hamid is very close to Anwar Ibrahim. Oh. Even went uh, under ISA detention mm. after Anwar was sacked. And they've always had a, a relationship of sorts, right? And but there are detractors within the party, right? For of sure. Course, of course, I mean, you've detractors. got Dato Sri Hishamuddin being very vocal. But, you know. but so, so you go back to history. Why is why is Hisham Hussein very uh, vocal? Because it, when when Anwar was sacked, uh, Hisham uh, sided with Dr. Mahathir. Um, Zaid Hamidi went under ISA, mm. and and you know that's been a long twenty four hours, uh, twenty four hours, twenty years, twenty four years of acrimony, because. Uh, getting Anwar back on track would mean that uh, someone like Hisham Hussein will need to wait another five years, or maybe a bit earlier, to be prime minister, right? So, mm. so everyone's there for the top job. Uh, you know, uh, Anwar was derailed for twenty-four years, uh, and now he's got the job. Uh, it talks a lot. That, that tells you a lot about persistence and and you know uh, ambition. Um, but now the others uh, have to wait their turn, right? And and when someone like um, Ismail Sabri gets the job out of nowhere. It just tells you that that it's uh, Malaysian politics is getting even more random. And the other lesson really is that we will go through this process from every election henceforth, mm. because no one will ever get even a simple majority anymore. This country is very much divided politically by region, uh, and that only someone like Doctor uh, like sorry. Why would I mention Dr. Mahathir? Well, any someone like Who Anwar can Ibrahim, him, right? <laughs> yeah, nobody can forget him. He predicted the Zahid uh, Anwar um, uh, alliance anyway. But only someone like Anwar could get different uh, groups of people together. I mean, if you remember, uh, the first Pakatan Rakyat um, had Islamists like Pass on one side and DAP on the other side. You know, so I think only Anwar in, in modern Malaysian politics can actually get disparate uh, groups. On, on the table uh, without slugging it out with each other. But my question is, how long can this last? Because like you say, you know, it's driven very much by the combination of Anwar and Zahid. But we also know that Amos, AMNO is heading to their own general elections, right, within six months of GE15. So assuming Zahid doesn't run or he's, he loses, what then happens to this pack? James, what is your uh, forecast? Yeah, I think that's why, very interestingly, Anwar actually wanted to have the first parliamentary session on the 19th of December, um, which is just a few days before the actual AMNO General Assembly. So that would actually secure Zahid's word as well as anyone who followed him, uh, the, the, the 28 uh, BNMPs, uh, plus GPS, to actually display this strength to, to say to everyone that we can govern well. Now, it is true to some extent that there is threats within the party and because Zahid um, almost lost his seat, at the same time, a lot of Zah- uh, people close to Zahid uh, actually lost their seats. And this is the worst electoral outcome for Amno. They will actually try to overthrow him as the priority. But at the same time, if you look at how... It, it, it's not as though that threat wasn't present throughout this negotiation process. Zahid still has some kind of hold on his... Uh, party. At the same time, there is something to be said about how this Amno generation that was ISA trained, like Anwar and Zahid, seems to have strong sense of resilience in carrying on. So 
until uh, you know we, we come closer to it to see what trump card uh, Zahid could play, uh, it is still uncertain whether he would be overthrown. Okay, and uh, Jahaba, at Anwar's press conference last night, let's talk, he confirmed the coalition members, right, which is GPS and Barisan National. Is this really a faction that can work together? They've always had competing ambitions. Well, I think uh, BN and GPS are very close. Uh, GPS mm. actually, uh, BN Sarawak, uh, yes. right? Um, and, and because you have top personalities who can work with each other. I mean, if you recall, uh, Anwar was DPM 20, what, 25 years ago, right? Yeah. So he would have known Abang Johari then, even, right? And because Malaysian politicians last a long time, you know, they, they're a bit like uh, beef jerky. They, you know, you can use them forever. Uh, but Never expire. They never expire. So, so you, when you have that kind of uh, alliance, friendship that, that goes back a long ways, they might bicker publicly on, on, on many issues, but they keep their friendship. If you ever walk into parliament, you go to the lounge, after after hours of debate and 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 a lot of uh, tense uh, situations, they be slapping each other's backs and having coffee and tea and and having a, a nasi lemak or, or mihun at the same time, right? So, uh, what they put up for us is actually a show. At the end of the day, they're all friends, and uh, it's just a matter of who is number one or who's number two. Okay, and. Uh... You know, I'm sure a lot of concessions were made behind the scenes, right? One of, And what we only can see visibly is perhaps that 10-point formula for the unity government that was shared with all of us. But aside from this 10-point formula, James, do you think what, what was actually, you know, talked about between the different parties that you, perhaps that we are not aware of? Uh, I think the 10-point formula, however, was was a very important part of the discussion because it went into fine details as to who, which party will take which position. I think you have to, to some extent, understand the BN psyche currently, which is, I think, you know, the initial claim that, oh, BN wants to take prime ministership uh, and that's why they're more likely to side with PN. I think that's false because they understand and accepted to some extent that the voters had rejected them. And therefore, taking premiership would appear very ironic. However, they still want to accumulate political largesse by being part of government. And that's why being uh, sort of taking DPM positions, as well as taking a proportion of senior ministerships, was a very important thing for them, right? And at the same time, I think the other thing that was probably not uh, as well known to the public, which I hypothesized to be true, which is they were accorded respect and dignity by PH. And I think they would also come to realise that when BN, PH and GPS works together, there's a certain complementary function that each of them fulfil. It's just that they haven't been aligned in the past because they couldn't campaign together, but they do fulfil respective functions that the other party does not have. And therefore, I, I, I'm quite optimistic of the chances of it surviving for at least the next two to three years. Okay, but uh, how much of the negotiations that took place at the state level in Pahang and Perak mm. actually led to this outcome at the federal level, Java? I think it was a confidence-building measure uh, mm. on, on PH's side to say, look, we can work together at the state level and we would accord you the top post even though you have smaller... You can be the Menteri Yeah, right? although you have a smaller number of seats, uh, respect, respectfully, because uh, the bigger price is the federal government, right? Mm. So... I think the the guys uh, in in Amno in Barisan National were more than happy to to take that agreement. And and in, last night, 
there was a picture circulating that 130 division leaders supported Zaid Hamidi. So I think going into party elections in six months' yeah, time... Yeah, so can he will, keep his post? Will he actually I, I, I stand? Think, I think if he wants, he will keep his post. Um, but he might just uh, say uh, his deputy, mm. uh, Tomat, might, might take over from him. Okay. Yeah. So what about the reformist group within Amno? since we're on this topic very quickly? Do you see them actually rising to the ranks? I mean, a lot of them didn't win their seats, for example, KJ, Shari Hamdan. What happens to them? Uh, well, you know... When they talk Who have also asked Zahid to resign, by the way. Yeah, but, you know, they lost the elections, mm-hmm. one. Two, uh, what reforms are they looking at? Uh, you know, uh, you've you got to see this election, the results of the election shows that Amno is rejected both in the rural area and the urban area. So who's your constituency now? How are you going to reform your party? Do you have the talent to run the divisions and reach out to constituencies that have rejected you? And, and this is the Malay, Malay heartland, right? Mm. Uh, if they were joining PN, they would be third fiddle, right? It will be PAS, uh, Bersatu and themselves. Yes. Those two would swarm them out, right? So what reforms are you talking about? Can you be cleaner? Well, I think that's a challenge, right, for yeah. them. Okay. On the Breakfast Grill this morning is our panel, Jahaba Sadiq, founder and editor of the Malaysian Insights, and James Chai, visiting fellow at the ISIS Yusuf Isha Institute. After the break, what are Perikatan National's next step and is the fight to be the Prime Minister of Malaysia over BFM 89.9? You are listening to The Breakfast Grill, brought to you by U-Mobile. 5G now with you. BFM 89.9. Welcome back to The Breakfast Grill. In the hot seats this morning is Jahaba Sadiq, founder and editor of the Malaysian Insight, and James Chai, visiting fellow at the ISIS Yusuf Isha Institute. Before the break, what was Datuk Sri Anwar's trump card to be PM number 10? Now, gentlemen, let's spend some time on Perikatan National. Uh, Jahaba, just before the swearing-in ceremony of Datuk Sri Anwar Ibrahim, there was a press conference by Perikatan National Chief Tan Sri Muhyiddin Yassin. And he stated at that press conference that he is not accepting his rival's appointment as the Prime Minister insisting that he had 150 statutory declarations. So is the battle for Putrajaya far from over? I mean, what other manoeuvres do you expect from PN? I think it's over as far, you know, once once a Prime Minister is sworn in, uh, unless there's internal sabotage like the Sheraton move and then subsequently um, when Ismail Sabri replaced Moedin Yassin mm. uh, because 15 Amno MPs uh, walked out, um, I, I think Anwar will be there for a while. And, and Anwar has taken the challenge by giving a 21-day notice for Parliament. Parliament sits, uh, starts on December 19. He will hold a confidence vote. I don't see anything in the next three weeks that would change his numbers. I mean, he's got Barisan National, or 28 of them anyway. He's got GPS, uh, 22 of them. He's got PBM, mm. one seat. He's got Warisan, three seats. He's got Muda one seat, seat. yeah, yeah. And, and I think KDM one more seat. So I think uh, he has the numbers going in at least for the first six months of his reign as prime minister, right? So it will take some time for Mudin Yassin to, to or, or pass to do anything to to uh, shake him from his, from that job. But one thing I find rather strange from all this is that you know, uh, like you say, the, His Majesty the Young Deputan Agong already appointed Anwar. So by doing this, uh, is Tan Sri Mohidin Yassin actually openly going against the royal household? James, is your interpretation any different? Uh, it's not any different. So it is um, very clear that this is against what the palace had decided. 
it is also against math because I don't know how he would be able to still hold the 115 when GPS and BN has actually said that they would side with Pakatan Harapan. So he's going on an uphill battle, but I do want to point out one thing, right? In the 11th uh, hour, what Amno was still doing was that they were still deciding between Pakatan Harapan and Perikatan National, which means we cannot discount the fact that they would still go to the highest bidder if Perikatan National gets very desperate. However, by let's say Perikatan National giving the highest price of prime ministership as well as all of the senior minister positions, for instance, right? That wouldn't be tenable within Perikatan National as well, right? So that's why it creates the, the limitations that are currently present in Perikatan National, however, makes it very difficult uh, for them to change um, the equation and, and change, therefore, who the government is. The only possibility that Perikatan National could rely on now is whether they could still be part of this so-called unity government in some shape or form so that they can still accumulate benefits of being part of government. Jahaba, do you think that they will want to be part of this unity government? I mean, Anwar at his uh, maiden press conference offered that olive branch to them, but will they accept it? Um, I think at this point in time, it's a bit difficult because uh, both Bersatu and PAS are led by personalities mm. who are not too happy with Anwar Ibrahim. Or for that matter, Zaid Hamidi. So I think the chances of them jumping or any one party uh, is bleak at this moment. Um, and I, one of the other reasons is because there are some states will have elections soon, within six months, most likely after Hari Raya. And they would, and most of these are rural areas, right? It, it is it is Kedah, it is Kelantan, it's Trengganu, it'll be Selangor, it'll be Penang, be Negeri Sembilan. Uh, they're going to go head to head. And and most of the rural seats in Kelantan, Trengganu and Kedah, for example, will, will see PAS, Bersatu, uh, fighting it out with uh, UMNO. Uh, at this round, UMNO lost. Uh, you know, UMNO only won one uh, parliament seat in the northern eastern crescent, only Sungai Petani. They lost everything else. Mm. So I think they're going to relish the prospect of another fight, slug it out with each other. So there's very slim chance that either PAS or Bersatu will say, come on, just open the door and let us in and then have a a big tent, as, as it were. I'm also curious, since you brought this up, Jahaba, then what happens with BN and Pakatan Harapan in these state seats? Will, well, they, well, you know, will uh, there be some sort of gentleman's agreement or will they I, I think, slug it out as well? I think James said it just now, they're very complementary of each other. Mm. They all have their constituency. Um, PKR has, has been there since 1999. They've never really made it in rural areas. Mm. It's still the domain of likes of AMNO and PAS and Basatu because of offshoot of AMNO. So I think going into a state elections uh, in, in most areas, um, they wouldn't really uh, meet each other, except maybe uh, if MC and MIC are still part of Barisan National. They've been a bit... Uh, unhappy. About, uh, unhappy, yeah. I, very, I think, I think very vocally I think, unhappy. I think they're sulking. They want to get rid of Zaid Hamidi. And I, I think uh, the, the Amno chaps who are in power now would have already uh, sounded them for this. So, so it'll be interesting to see the internal dynamics of Barisan National. But more so is the next battle is really the state seats. And mm -hmm. I, I think the greatest prize for Perikatan would be to, to uh, get uh, Selango. And because uh, one of their top leaders, Azmin Ali, lost his Gombak seat. And I think he wants to come back to as an politics in a, in a big way as Menteri Besar Adun mm -hmm. uh, and, and uh, challenge uh, PKR and AMNO 
in in uh, the battle for Selangor. Okay, so that will be an interesting election to watch for sure. Uh, but for me, what else is interesting is probably the cabinet, right? Everyone's probably thinking, what's the formation of cabinet going to look like? Uh, what has What is certain is the 10-point unity agreement says that the DPM is supposed to come from Barisan National. Yeah. Uh, while cabinet posts among the coalition partners will be based on their seat percentage in day one rakyat. Now, is this where things get really messy. So who is in and who is out? James, I'll start with you, especially since Anwar did promise to cut the number of ministers by half. Yeah, so that is really the biggest burden, right? So it used to be the case that under Muhyiddin as well as Ismail's government, they're able to hand out as many uh, cabinet positions as possible or even like a lot of government companies, agencies, so that you reward people for loyalty, right? So you are no longer able to do that because Anwar has promised to cut it in half. However, I really do think, right, if you look at the essence of the 10-point agreement, what it comes down to is the decisions that are made by the Prime Minister as well as the Deputy Prime Minister. In other words, if the Deputy Prime Minister is Mat Hassan, I would expect the negotiation process to be more reasonable and actually there wouldn't be too many uh, sort of dirty fights that are happening because it is largely agreed upon that those are the number of seats that I would get. I, however, I do want to caveat that I don't think that the 10-point agreement refers to the proportion of parties, party seats in government. Mm. It is more likely the proportion of coalition seats in government. And therefore, within each coalition, they are able to distribute it among themselves. So that makes it cleaner in process. Um, but I would expect that the, some disagreements may happen on a very small level uh, on uh, you know, certain senior minister positions like education, finance, rural development, defence and home. But other than that, I, I don't see it to be a big tussle. What about you, Jahaba? Do you have a different view? Is this where blood will be shed? No, no I don't think there'll be any blood shed at all. I, mm. I, you know, each party in, in this unity government have their strengths. Um, UMNO, of course, they will be interested in rural development and obviously finance. Um, uh, the, the DAP, if they participate in a huge way, would be more uh, urban areas, uh, housing and local government, for example. Uh, GPS would want uh, portfolios that, that take care of their state mm. uh, and, and Borneo as a whole. Uh, so you might also have a minister in the PM's department who will be in charge of petroleum, which would, which would be one of their chaps. Mm. So I think it's going to be a very uh, a, a formula that has a lot of common sense in it. Because they just uh, they just want to make sure that they can work together, while still maintaining a certain sense of independence from each other at the state level. Okay. I mean, the reality is is that uh, the DAP guys and AMNO guys cannot be seen in a photograph together, you know, because because then uh, Perikata will take it to town in in the state elections. So uh, we all have to be realistic that that this is the issues in this country that anything can be manipulated uh, in the wrong way. Um, it. it it's going to be a, a decent plate of nasi kanda. Everything complements each other. With be, lots of gravy. With lots of gravy, but not much meat in it. But, you know, it's, and it's satisfying until you get hungry again. Okay. Uh, but who will be DPM? Because everybody's watching that post. Uh, James, what is your um, point of view? My what? guess is, yeah, for DPM, I think it has to be Mat Hassan. And I think he is the most reasonable choice. I think it will be very difficult to pitch to Pakatan that I'm going to put Zakit there, right? So Mat Hassan, he's not necessarily a clear uh, member of the reformist faction in Amno, 
nor is he directly sort of a supporter of Zakir, right? So he is a person who commands enough of the confidence within AMNO as well as someone that PH and GPS would accept. And I think it is very clear from uh, Anwar's uh, PC yesterday that there will be a GPS DPM. That is more interesting to me. Mm. I don't actually think that Abang Joe, who is CM now uh, in Sarawak, will take up that post. I think that would be too much of a stretch. Either he relinquishes his CM and takes this one, or someone else has to take it. So I think the tussle within GPS would be quite interesting because we haven't really heard any clear candidate uh, who will who would succeed Abang Joe, and therefore that would be more likely a candidate for DPM or fed, at the federal level. On this special extended breakfast grill, we have on our panel Jahaba Sadiq, founder and editor of the Malaysian Insight, and James Chai, visiting fellow at the ISIS Yusuf Ishak Institute. After the 8.30am news bulletin, what should be the priorities of Malaysia's 10 Prime Minister be and how do you heal and rule a very divided country? BFM 89.9. You are listening to The Breakfast Grill, brought to you by U-Mobile. 5G now with you. BFM 89.9, welcome back to a special extended breakfast grill. On the panel today is Jahaba Sadiq, founder and editor of the Malaysian Insight, and James Chai, visiting fellow of the ISIS Yusuf Isha Institute. Before the 8.30am news bulletin, we asked if the hard work for Dato Sri Anwar Ibrahim as Malaysia's 10 Prime Minister has just started. Now, before the break, Jahaba, James told us his names for the Deputy Prime Prime Minister, uh, both from Barisan National and GPS. But I want your insight on this, no pun intended. What are, who, who are the names <laughs> well, you have I think, in mind? I think I'll agree with, with James that, that uh, Marhasan is the leading contender. Uh, I think there are a few reasons for this. One is that uh, during the election campaign, mm. everybody was saying that one word for whoever is a word for Zahid and he's a kleptocrat, he's got so many charges against him. So, so you don't want to draw fire to your new government. And I, I think Zaid himself has never expressed uh, any desire for any post. But Anwar himself at the PC didn't uh, say outright that, you know, members of his cabinet must be 100% clean. He kind of, he said like, you know, if we, he might consider even if they were charges, right? Because that well, was a question asked he, by he, a he member of the wanted, press. He wanted a clean government, right? Mm. So, so It's a contradiction. Well... Yes, it is, but there you go. Malaysia is a contradiction by itself, right? So, um, I don't think uh, Zaid will be it. I think it will be most likely Mat Hassan. I know whether it, uh, whoever from GPS would be someone they want to reflect that Borneo states, the two Borneo states are a lot more um, colorblind when it comes to naming anyone, that, that, that one person would represent all of them, mm. that they are Borneo, that they are Sabah and Sarawak rather than the peninsula uh, obsession with are you Chinese, are you Indian, are you Malay? Uh, we are obsessed with that. They are not obsessed with that. Uh, so uh, it's a Malaysian government. Whoever is there is a Malaysian, right? So why mm. are we bothered by the colour of their skin? Okay, but uh, James, do you see musical chairs for positions like Speaker of the House, Attorney General? So, you know, maybe two brothers might be out of a job soon. I mean, what about GLC and GLIC hits? Yeah, for me, I think when it comes to the speaker position as well as the attorney general, they will be very insistent in getting someone who is Malay Muslim. The reason for that is that during this period, I agree with Jabba, the, DP, the second DPM would probably not be Malay Muslim, but other things, uh, other positions would. The reason was uh, a lot of the memories that Pakatan Harapan has of 2018 was they felt like that uh, was something that the opposition took to town. And now that Perikatan National is not 
in government, there is a likelihood for them to increase the temperature when mm. it comes to attacking the government, right? So uh, Anwar also made this very clear in his uh, PC yesterday that he reaffirmed the position of Islam, Bahasa and so on. That was part of the process in making sure that the fence-sitters or the ones who are leaning to pass have more confidence in the current government when they solve your cost of living issues, then you start to believe that maybe they're not as what you thought they were. Okay. The other dilemma I think Anwar has is managing manifesto promises because we are talking about unity government and all have their own respective manifestos. So how is that going to work, Jahaba? I think they're good look at what's common. Uh, for me, uh, everybody's looking at economy for mm. sure because... That's a priority. He specifically mentioned that at his PC. Yes, yes, definitely. Because, you know, more Malaysians are poorer today despite earning more because the ringgit is Weak. Not, not that strong, right? Yeah. Uh, to put it another way. I think that one of the other issues uh, which there's some common ground is uh, citizenship for children of Malaysian uh, women who give birth overseas um, because the uh, female electorate is very strong, although there are fewer MPs who are women in, in this new parliament. Um, the other issues, is just, it's just a matter of helping each other until the next general election so that no, it doesn't fray at the, at the, at the sides, right? Mm. So that they can still be government. Um, I think there'll be a priority for uh, agricultural states so that they can win it over. Uh, the Northern Eastern Crescent I was talking to you about. Mm. Um, there will be some priority for urban areas because that's where they derive most of their support. So I think where there's a lot of common ground, those will be easier to to take off and say, let's do this. Um, but what I think one of the big issues is government revenues. Yeah. So uh, the lack they, of it. Uh, the lack of it, but also because businesses are complaining, lack of business, lack of workers, and such. So I think they will have to look at the business community. We are we are supposed to get a bounce from post-pandemic times. We haven't got much of it. Maybe in the EE sector, but the plantation sector is screaming. Mm. Um, and of course, you want to bring in more investments to Sabah and Sarawak. So mm. that's another key point. So I think the focus will be uh, a lot more some of these areas rather than, than what we assume it will be. I, I think one of the obsessions that will might not be there is public transport. Yeah. Because that's a very urban thing. Um, they want most of the urban seats and most of the urban voters are not really uh, public transport people. Right. Okay. So, so that's where it is. But the other challenge I see is the, the fact that, that we are a very polarised country. Right. I think that is also why Anwar took pains to emphasise that Malaysia is supposed to be inclusive with a consideration for the marginalised at his press conference. James, let me start with you. How are we going to repair this situation? I mean, this is probably, to me, the most challenging task ahead. Yeah, the, the biggest insight actually of G15 was the rapid rise of PAS, right? Mm -hmm. So that was something that not only uh, was a surprise to many people, but also I think that... That, that felt like a genuine threat to Pakatan supporters, right? So what he has to do was that he cannot pursue um, radical policies in the realm of uh, race and religion, for sure, right? So you, you cannot say uh, things like, oh, there will be uh, clear equality for everyone now. Those kind of language you cannot use. So in communications, that has to be very nuanced. But at the same time, acknowledging also the fact that because a lot of these past voters come from the northern region of West Malaysia, 
they are also the most economically disenfranchised group of people. Mm. So what is imperative to be done, therefore, is to solve cost of living on, on a very targeted approach to that group of uh, voters, right? Yeah. Chance to win them over, especially the fans, the, the extremist group is probably harder to contain, right? Um, uh, but, but try to do it for, for the fence sitters. At the same time, I think this is something that our police are really good at, which is stemming out extremism uh, and, and nipping it at its butt earlier. That would at least secure that future. I, I do think the current PH, GPS and BN government are very similar uh, aligned when it comes to driving the centre and preventing the country from getting too much to the extreme. I think this is something that uh, all of the parties can agree on. Okay, and uh, one question for you, Jahaba. Do you think Anwar will take heed of the mistakes of the first Pakatan Harapan? Is this a totally different regime since Tunem is not the Prime Minister? I, I think definitely. I For the for, for example, I mean, the reality is uh, during the first PH administration, uh, Anwar was in jail uh, mm. initially, right? Uh, and, and he was always on the outside and he's seen the messaging going wrong here and there. Um, it wasn't that the first government was that bad. It was it was pretty decent, uh, but they were too quick in stopping a lot of projects because of uh, perceived corruption. Uh, they were seen to be uh, brash and a bit arrogant, and and condescending to to a certain section of the people. Uh, so and and Anwar is a different kettle of fish from from Dr. Mahathir Mohamad. Um, He's the kind of guy who likes to get consensus in, in many ways. Um, um, Dr. Marty is Dr. Marty. He's his way or the highway, and the highway is the one that he built too. So, so it's you know it'll, it'll take you to hell. But Anwar, Anwar is more. He's a man of language. He's very charming. Yeah. Right. So, I think. And he, you can see that from his first press conference. You can see, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, you know, I mean, he's he's the kind of guy who uh, you'd want to like. Mm. He makes himself very likable, um, and. And I don't know why there are a lot of bitter exes. So I guess because there's another guy who likes him then or another person, man or woman. Uh, but there you go. So so there, so I think he will has learned the mistakes, mm. which is why uh, people like uh, Lim Gwaning and all have a lower profile this election campaign than previously. Okay, we're going to run out of time. So gentlemen, I want to ask you all, and maybe just in a minute, uh, whether you can give me your answer in a minute or so, what kind of prime minister will Anwar be? I mean, he's waited decades for this post, James, you first. I think for all of Anwar's uh, flaws and so on, I think first and foremost, he will be a compassionate prime minister. I think that has been consistent since his early student activism days in Baling, having gone to jail and so on. He just looks at things differently and I think he really cares for people who are poor and disenfranchised, right? Whether he has the right people around him to execute those policies and desires is a different matter altogether. But I do think that a person who has uh, risen from the ashes and is very intent on eliminating elitism uh, in politics and uh, society will be a compassionate prime minister. What about you, Jahaba? And also added to that, do you think he'll just be a one-term PM? Um, well, I agree with James on all the all the points he brought up. I I think Anwar has been through a lot. I he's the one person who has been through more longer years in jail than any other prime minister in Malaysia. Uh, there's one ex prime minister in jail right now, so I, I I don't know how long he'll be there. Uh, so he sees things from a different point of view. Uh, he he reached the top, almost the top, and then he he came crashing down. Yeah. So those are life lessons there. 
some have compared him to Mandela, but I don't think he's a Mandela. I think he's just someone who came from left of field, uh, uh, children, a uh, child of, of a of a former hospital attendant, uh, a medical officer, went to MCKK. He's hobnob with elite people, but he's always been himself. He's more comfortable in the street than than in corridors of uh, power or co- uh, smoking a cigar and, and all that, which mm-hmm. is a very Malaysian politician thing. But uh, I think he'll take a very wider view of Malaysia. And he has been all these years since he was out of power. Um, but and, and whether he'll be one term, no, I you know, this guy uh, was in the wilderness for 24 years. Mm. Is, is this his first crack at, at being prime minister? Um, he's 75, right? So I think Malaysia has an affection for old people. I don't know why. We, we should actually uh, get ourselves out of that, that addiction, uh, make, get younger people into politics. Uh, but I think he will go on for another term uh, if, if he's healthy. Um, I don't think he, he, he'll be like Dr. Mahathir Mohamad, still slugging it out at the age of 97. Yes. But he will definitely go for one more term. On that note, thank you for your time today. On our panel was Jahaba Sadiq, founder and editor of the Malaysian Insights, and James Chai, visiting fellow at the ISIS Yusuf Isha Institute. I'm Wong Shaoning, BFM 89.9. The BFM Breakfast Grill is brought to you by U-Mobile. 5G now with you. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.